Welcome to Finding My Yam, a sex-positive podcast celebrating all forms of sexual expression. Each week, we bring on a new guest to share their journey. We talk honestly and openly about what they're into and what sex, kinks, love, and more look like in the real world. I'm Jerry Courtney Austin. And I'm Will Lutz. And we are your hosts. And today we are thrilled to have Val here from Lips to talk all about um, her background as a freelance writer and community manager of Lips. Lips is a new alternative social media platform for women, non-binary folks, and the LGBTQIA plus community that allows for open and honest expression without bias, censorship, or harassment. Um, this platform is amazing. I had such a blast talking with Val. She is so unbelievably intelligent and knowledgeable. We talk all about porn, ethical porn. Um, we talk about, yeah, just uh, technology in general and how how there aren't um, apps and vehicles for expression for sex workers and people who aren't, you know, hetero, cis presenting. And uh, it was just amazing. Like, I, I just like, I... I'm such a fan of her. I just want her to be a good friend. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I think she seemed really cool. And I think it kind of comes through in the conversation, too. Yeah. Um, so you should definitely check out uh, Lips. And we're going to talk all about it. And it's also in the show notes. So um, so you can you can get on and, and kind of see if it's something that you're interested in. Uh, also, we wanted to chat about our YouTube that we started for Finding My Yum. Um, all of our episodes are now being uploaded. So if you are more a visual person, you can watch um, our episodes and you can watch the interaction that we have uh, during our recording. It's Finding My Yum podcast on YouTube. We would love more subscribers. We would love to, you to be a part of our community. We'd love you to like those videos and share them so uh we just wanted to plug it in case you didn't know that we had a youtube yeah. uh, because we would love for you to watch yeah i mean even if you don't want to watch but you want to check it out and see uh see the visuals and then like leave it open in a tab while you listen that's not a bad way to do it either <laughs> i do it i do that with a lot of things um so I, I'll, I'll keep a youtube video going while i'm watching something or while i'm doing something else on the computer so just another way to uh to interact with us and and, and we're excited to bring that to you yeah, exactly. Um, and and before we get to the episode, we we are bouncing all over, but we did want to talk about. So on the seventeenth, it uh, was my year anniversary of a pandemic quarantine life. Uh, it's when I lost both of my jobs and was plunged into unemployment, and my entire world went upside down, much like everyone else's. And so. Yeah, how do you feel? Well, a year later. <laughs> it's it's interesting, right? So mine was mine was the eleventh, so it was mm-hmm. last week from when you guys are listening to this. Um, but yeah, it, it it both feels like every it feels like extremely long, and yet like not like not much time has passed, right? So I try to yeah. think back to those first few days uh, when I'm like looking out my window and I'm like, is it safe to get a delivery of a vacuum cleaner from Amazon? I don't know. I got to leave it yeah. on my porch for three days. Uh, and maybe that was yeah. the right thing to do. I still don't know. Um, and <laughs> compared to now don't where it. it's like, it feels much more normal. And I don't even like, I don't think twice to put on a mask. Like I, I, I wear that anywhere. It doesn't, doesn't bother me at all. And it's like how quick, like we have adapted to this and, and hopefully we're on the way out too. But um. But yeah, it, it is really strange to think back to those early days of like all the uncertainty and seeing the NCAA tournament get canceled and all these types of yeah. things. It's like, what is going on? Um, 
Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, I think all the iterations are, of like the timeline is so interesting, and I find even though it's been a year, I still have, I, I have, I still have, I currently have like amnesia about it. Like there's like a kind of a fuzziness of my brain's perception because like really, if I think back to, to the 17th, like those feelings of just like, complete and utter shock and fear and just like terror uh, I feel very far away and when you know we were in full quarantine in Los Angeles you know the streets were empty for three months I mean we weren't moving for three months there was nothing happening it was unlike anything you know obviously any of us have ever experienced but I do find like that feels so far away. <laughs> like even now, conceptualizing what that dramatic um, moment felt like still feels like I've like I've like dissociated from it because it was so dramatic. And I think one of the the scariest things when I think about globally is like what what is the consequence of these this trauma? And you know we're not out of it, and there are going to be massive implications. F- you know, for the future, for for the generation right now that is has had education interrupted. You know, there's just so many things that are going to come out of it. But um, yeah, I, I I agree with you in 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 the current moment, Will, where it does feel like we have adapted in this moment, and that like mask wearing doesn't feel so strange. Although I'm getting my second vaccine in a couple days. Thank, thankfully, I'm yeah, I'm so unbelievably grateful. Uh, they're allowing food service workers in California to 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 have the opportunity to get the vaccine now. Uh, and I, you know, I got it in this like weird gym thing in a park, and it feels very dystopian and it feels very strange and weird. And it's like, you know, so many things I just never thought I would experience. Um, in the world and in yep. my life that are currently happening every day. <laughs> and, you know, knock on wood, hopefully it is the only time we'll have to experience something like that. Um, yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's been a wild year. Um, I mean, I just remember the first, you know, the first time we were trying to do more of this. Like, I, if I go back and, you know, I, I, I don't know what it looks like for you, but if I go back in my camera roll and I try to find, like, mm. what were some of the last pictures you took before uh, the pandemic and everything kind of changed. Actually, a few of them are from some of our recordings um, over at your old yeah. apartment, right? And so, like, I'm like, oh, look, there's Jerry, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, that was right or before like, we all knew everything, yeah. Yeah, or, like, us in the car trying yeah, to record an intro-outro in between <laughs> commitments, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. So, so interesting. And, you know, um, I think there there are definitely a, some silver lining, but um, there there's been so much tragedy and trauma like associated mm, with this yeah. and 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 holding space for all of that and 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 just like a, a you know a, having gratitude for the privilege that I've been able to have and have access to unemployment but also recognizing um and and just just giving some dialogue to like I know that so many people are struggling and that there there's still so much that we can do and that, that um you know, if you have the means to to help those communities that are are suffering and and are still suffering from the pandemic because you know their the vaccine rollout has been uh, such a shit show. So, so yeah. So I think we're 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 holding space for all of that today and in in this sort of collective day of remembrance of um, when the insanity began. When the world stopped. Um, 
Yeah, when the world literally stopped. Uh, yeah, and so we'd love to hear about about your year anniversary and how you're doing. So please reach out to us. Um, we have our email. Slide into those DMs. We we love to talk to to people and hear feedback. So that's that's always open for you. Um, so now, without further ado, please enjoy our episode with Val from Lips. Oh, it's so great! You're gonna love her. Yay! Yay! Welcome to Finding My Yum. I'm so excited. Today we have Val Elefante here, who is a Brooklyn-based freelance writer and community manager of Lips. Lips is a new alternative social media platform for women, non-binary folks, and the LGBTQIA community that allows for open and honest expression without bias censorship or harassment. Val loves writing about technology, feminism, sexuality, and any combination thereof, and has a newsletter titled Sex Tech with Val. Uh, she has also written and directed her own erotic films, which were part of research for her senior thesis in college titled Beyond Pleasure and Danger, Autonomy and the Ethics of Pornography. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Yay! Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited. I, uh, you know, we've we've had on um, several guests to talk about their experience on different social media platforms, and that's how we were connected through Instagram. So there is definitely some use to those things for sure because they have a monopoly. But um, just about how the censorship was, uh, you know, amping up, and and it's just becoming a more hostile environment for, uh, you know, non-traditional. Uh, people to to express themselves anything in the sexuality space is 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 prohibited to a certain extent now and so I love this idea of of your new app um I want to get into that I also want to start with just like how you got into all this I mean you have um you did your thesis on pornography and so it seems like it's been something that's been in your sphere for quite a while uh but but yeah so so what was your journey to even getting to to that thesis and and your interest in in sexuality and tech yeah oh man well so i only graduated two years ago so not so long ago that i was there writing and researching for that thesis um but how i got there i would say you know started um like many of us you know grew up in a pretty kind of just unwelcoming definitely more conservative um pretty narrow-minded type of town. I grew up on Long Island. Um, You know, you'd think outside of, like you'd think in New York, you'd be able to kind of um, be who you want to be and whatever. New York's kind of known for that. But where I grew up, you know, on Long Island, it it is a pretty conservative um, town. And there was just, it was hard to kind of be anything outside of what um, the town's sort of stereotypical woman was um Mm. it's the town is very kind of like it's it's a bit it's a wealthier town um it's pretty religious conservative both like jewish and um on the christian side as well and and it's just kind of one of those suburbs that like it almost feels like it's in a movie it's kind of there's always like moms gossiping at the hair salon and uh people talking badly about their neighbors and then like you know loving up on them when they see them walking their dogs like it's just like that like that's just where I grew up and you know I I always like you know going there I had a a nice time I'm very grateful for like the education it was a public school but it was a a decent public school um 
the sex education though sucked. Uh, you know, like I said, just kind of very traditional in a lot of senses, traditional gender roles, traditional um, kind of just dialogues happening all the time about like, I felt like, you know, women's work, men's work, like it was just classic. It was just kind of a classic um, white picket fence kind of upbringing. And when I went to college, um, I really just felt that world shatter in like really mm. profound ways. Like I was interacting with people, meeting people, forming relationships with people who were just so far outside of that. And given just how kind of, um, you know, like singular and, and, and uh, you know, mono, I don't know what the word is, but like uh, kind of just, you know, like my convention, like town, or my convention. Yeah. Was. Mm -hmm. yeah, I was meeting like all these new people and, and that's kind of what college is, you know, a lot for a yeah. lot of us we go meet all these new people. Um, we, you know, at least for me, I like really quickly took to kind of studying, um, you know, social political theory, things that brought me outside of my comfort zone intellectually and, and physically. Um, I was doing like volunteer work. I was, I was, um, you know, just all kinds of stuff that I, I really started breaking out of that boundary and, and yeah, and kind of came across, um, you know, some of the feminist thinkers, queer theory thinkers through my academic research. Mm -hmm. and was like so hype on them yeah. <laughs> like wanted to be judith butler hype on them <laughs> um, <laughs> so so yeah and then um you know decided to kind of just break the boundary some more i was like you know i um was really interested in applying those types of theories to my life to um you know my upbringing kind of thinking about like womanhood what that meant female sexuality, like why I felt the way I did about myself. I, I was like reading things that were explaining all of this kind of stuff to me. And that was really exciting and cool. Um, so then, yeah, decided to write a thesis and apply some of those things to technology and to the porn industry. So um, yeah, it was both kind of personal and academic, I always say. Yeah, I love that. Um, my dad's actually from Long Island, and uh, I've oh, I've really? never visited, but I've never. I mean, I've been to New York, but I've never visited Long Island. But that is exactly how I picture it. <laughs> it's like to a T. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's funny. Yeah, I know. I don't know what it is about that place. I mean, I don't know. I hope they'll change soon, though. Out there, like I wouldn't yeah. want to raise my there I don't know <laughs> yeah 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 you would think like being so close to all of this like huge expression and and art and like boundary pushing uh things that that it would seep in at some point <laughs> but who knows um yeah amazing and so then I I'd love to hear like what is what was this idea of womanhood I mean you kind of talked about the binary and this traditional idea are those ideals that you had adopted onto your own person that were now being challenged and um expanded uh and and what what was that like stepping into that personally as well then as academically, you know, studying tech and, and pornography in, um, in the academic setting? Yeah, so personally, I would say, um, you know, I've, I've always identified as female, take she, her pronouns. Um, but I think like, in terms of my, some, like many of my interests, I was always kind of tomboy-ish, um, I guess. And like, so when it comes to interests and just things, like, you know, some of my girlfriends found interesting. I just never really did. Like, I'm not really a, a girly girl in any sense. So 
Um, I think in, in a lot of ways, like I, I questioned it, but at, at the core, like, you know, I, I, for a long time kind of did conform and, and, um, you know, it took me to get to college to like realize, to really start thinking outside of that. Mm -hmm. Um, but a big thing really was personally for me growing up, um, was kind of the sexuality component. Cause mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, growing up, like there was, there was two out gay people, like, and no women. It was like two gay guys I can think of really. Um, and, oh, and maybe wow. a bisexual woman, but like, it was just really not accepted. Um, if people came out, it was again, like the talk of the town. And so that's really mm. scary. Yeah. Um, just kind of given the nature of the town. So it just wasn't accepted to be like LGBTQ identifying. So I never even like considered thinking of myself like that at all. Got it. Um, and, and I, you know, ended up like, and then in terms of like sexual expression and stuff, like I felt um, like, you know, a lot, I felt a lot of pressure to um, sexualize myself and be sexual as a woman. And I didn't really mm -hmm. feel like I, like I said, like identified with that so much. So I don't know. I always, um, I always say like, you know, I, I like, <laughs> I'm ready to say it. Ready? I like always say like, gave too much head in high school. Like, what was I doing? Or like, sure. um, you know, hooking up with men, I didn't even want to hook up with, but I guess like, you know, the pressure, the pressure to like, be cool, fit in, have sex, um, you know, be accepted by men, be like, uh, like, viewed as hot by men mm -hmm. was such a thing. Like, I mean, literally, I stole my mom's thongs in like seventh grade, because I was scared my underwear line would show. Just oh my all God. that that was such a big deal for me too because like when I was in when I was in middle school it was like the the pants without the pockets and so it was really obvious if you were wearing like full-butted underwear and I remember that being a huge conversation with my mom and she was like you don't need to wear thongs and I was like you don't understand I do <laughs> leggings like I have the same trauma because it was like <laughs> leggings and like solo pants and so they're just super tight on the butt and like yes. I also just have never like I mean whatever I like always was self-conscious about my butt so it was just all this pressure to like have a mm -hmm. nice like firm round butt without underwear line like that was the goal and I and so yeah. things like I'm like what and I'm in seventh grade like why am I thinking about yeah. that but it really did affect me a lot um and then going to college kind of like finally feeling like I was like whoa you know my experience can be explained in in these ways and I can look at my experience like within a structure a broader structure mm -hmm. that I had never really learned about but I was starting to understand and I was like whoa this fits in this makes sense and now you know how do I get out and how do I help other people get out yeah oh my god I love that uh, this idea of of liberation and like how difficult that journey is <laughs> for all of us right I mean because we're still living in in the patriarchy in this structure that is like you know in rape culture that is like continuously barraging us with images that are uh reinforcing all of that stuff that we got to con consistently like unpack and examine through that lens of like okay you know uh, uh, on one level I can feel it and feel my feelings and then also detach from it to a certain extent which is which is challenging <laughs> it's very challenging um and then so moving yeah yeah and then so moving into the, your academics um I 
I love this this thesis on beyond pleasure and danger autonomy and the ethics of pornography. What drew you particularly to pornography and tech and then to even make your own, um, you know, erotic film? I, I imagine that was part of the thesis, but um, w- what a what an awesome expansion and sort of deviation from <laughs> what I imagine and what you were describing in Long Island. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, we're like, it started probably, you know, thinking about in, in class, like trying to dig to kind of a root, like what is, what are one of the roots of this problem? Um, like, you know, the problem of sort of female, um, I guess just oppression, like sex as a weapon. Like I was like, where is this coming from? And I arrived at pornography and I said, you know, at that time I was like, okay, porn is the problem. Like, um, and I think to some extent it, it's a problem. Like there's some porn that does harm and like, um, whether that is doing harm to the consumer by like, um, you know, being sort of, uh, like sex education and sort of teaching a lot of times it's young, um, mm-hmm. heterosexual men, like what sex is. So in that case, like it does, it does do that kind of harm. Um, and then there's, you know, some porn that does like harm because it's, um, maybe, you know, there's like exploitative stuff or, or the industry, like there's just manipulation and things that go on in the industry. Um, but so, I mean, I, I started with like, okay, let's, let's think about porn as a problem, see what's there. And I started, um, digging into a lot of the like feminist debates about porn that were, I, yeah, I don't know, um, how much you know about this, but like in the seventies and eighties, like porn was like this idea that just became like the most heated thing. Like feminists were on opposite sides of the spectrum. Like they were all feminists, but they were like, we all like, there's just such a divide on what we think about porn. Like, how could we all be feminists? And there, and like half of us think porn is literally the, you know, physical manifestation of oppression. And other people are like, what? No, like porn is amazing and beautiful and can help free us. So there was this like crazy Mm -hmm. tension at that time. Um, And I was so fascinated by that. And I still felt like there was a lot of aspects of that debate that hadn't really been worked out yet. Like I was like, hello, where, like, where are we at with this? Like, what am I, can I like porn? Can I not like porn? Like what, what's going on? Um, so yeah, so I, I started there and that was, that became kind of the topic for my thesis. I, I looked at um, debates in history, kind of worked through those, looked at how um, in the 80s, 90s, like, you know, sex workers were never really part of those conversations early on. Like these feminists were in, in academia, um, were like debating about porn without actually talking to anyone in the industry. Um, and so, you know, er, later on, like those voices started being welcome to the table, which was where my thesis kind of went. And then, you know, ultimately I, I argued about um, just porn today and, you know, where we're at with it and, and how, you know, like I kind of said, there's like parts of it that can be considered problematic. There's ways that it harms. Um, but at the end of the day, like it can be a tool for liberation and, you know, we need more representation. We need more people behind the camera, which is why I ended up wanting to make my own films. Um, you know, we need like queer sexuality represented. We need more, um, honestly, I saw a lot of power and beauty in like kinks and like the portrayal of the kink community and always felt like that's really misconstrued and especially you know stuff that like looks like violence against women which is kind of what 
those like old school feminists like saw as like really harmful but oftentimes it's actually not that at all like they'll you know look at a king scene and be like that's you know harming us and, and is teaching people violence against women but that's actually not what's going on there's an interesting power dynamic there that you know is um like is very um sort of well intentional in the king community and right. is thought through like you know communicated about there's like super um there's just so much consent there that right. like actually mainstream people can learn from like you know the vanilla community can learn that from the king community so there's just like there was a lot of kind of um threads throughout the piece that um just i tried to yeah there i'm just so interested in so much of it so i tried to squeeze it as much as i could in there <laughs> yeah it, that, that's so fascinating um i have started to dive more into the academic side of uh, uh you know of more feminist and queer theories but i have not come across this debate about porn although i am aware of all of the uh, mechanisms right now that are the broad strokes that are trying to deal with uh, non-consensual porn and the issues of sex trafficking that exists within the the websites that are not the uh, only things happening and are then largely affecting sex workers and largely affecting um, people who are making money off of um you know th- this industry and that's their expression and and how they you know they want and you know um contributing to some diversity of uh, of representation and so uh i love all that i do want to punch into a, a couple of things and so i'm curious about when because i think it's it's important to frame um when you're talking about the the feminists that were fighting in in the 80s and 90s are you mainly discussing um like white feminists who were like the predominant voice in the academic world at that time because I, I I just think it's important to to create a framework of like who who is talking about this and who is having these conversations from whatever place of privilege that they exist in absolutely yeah and it was it was um the feminist movement throughout the 70s 80s was predominantly white yeah. Um, those were the main voices. So it was the white women mostly. Um, and, you know, my thesis, it's, it takes the intersectional feminism when that became like a topic in the eighties, that's like Kimberly Crenshaw in, in 89. So okay. it takes a long time for us to get to like a more intersectional inclusive like mm-hmm. lens. And so, uh, yeah, I don't, you know, those women definitely, you know, for the first part of my thesis, the seventies, eighties, like picketing in the street, picketing in the streets and like, you know, being like, you know, porn is, is, um, rape basically, yeah. uh, that, that is predominantly the white women and, and it was a white women's movement for a really long time. So yeah, I appreciate that. and clarifying that. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I think it's interesting as we're, you know, moving into hopefully a space of how elevating other voices and, and expanding these conversations. It is interesting to look back and be like, you know, who was the predominant voice then? And, and what lens were they looking through? There was a, somebody slid into my DMS, uh, saying like, Oh, I think you'd like this account. And it was, um, this whole foundation that was created against pornography. And it was a white woman who was heading it. And I did some research and like dove into it. And I was like, Oh my God, so problematic and I was like I can't believe that this still exists um but it does and it's still very uh yeah it's it's still there today and I think you can see that from the legislation that is being proposed um you know Sesta Fossa and 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 those that are that are targeting these these aspects and so I'm curious um 
Yeah, uh, like uh, about your your own film experience and your own uh, expression of diving into this of of like what 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 did you learn from that and what what were you trying to create or or learn through through that kind of experiment and and expression of your own creativity. Yeah. So my first experience was when I was researching for my thesis and I was like, if I'm going to be arguing about, you know, the ethics of making porn, um, I need to be there. I need to know what that actually looks like and feels like. Um, and, you know, especially arguing about like porn that is ethical versus not like what, you know, how, how, do, how can I do that from like sitting up here in, in my little ivory tower? So I, um, found out about, well, in my research, I came across um, the work of Madison Young, who is, I don't know if you know about her, but she's amazing. She's a, um, you know, like was a mainstream porn star for a while in kind of the um, 90s and then started branching off and doing her own thing later on um, and making her own films and kind of was one of, is one of the leading sort of queer porn um revolutionaries honestly like she worked uh under kind of annie sprinkle who is another big name and and was sort of her porn mom so before madison's career like annie was someone who sort of was mainstream and, and broke out and madison followed her and so i um got connected to madison oh uh gosh. and yeah and and she was i got connected with her because she was like teaching people she was putting up a she um advertised a class called the erotic film school and in the erotic film school she was going to teach filmmakers how to make porn and how to do it in a way that was pretty different from you know when she was a performer in the industry because mm -hmm. a lot of those people were um sort of industry veterans there are a lot of men there um whatever and she was like intentionally looking to teach more um you know diverse mm. people and sellers how to do that how to like you know make a make a film come to life in, in all of it so it was a week-long um course and it was out in oakland california so i got my university to pay for it oh my god amazing <laughs> of my research yes which was amazing um and i'm so fortunate for that really i went out there and i learned from madison like it was a small class i met some amazing individuals who were there with me and in the span of a week or it was only three days actually we had written um cat well it was cast already so we had written it we had um you know filmed it we had edited it and we had a film like basically it was like an intensive course wow um, yeah and it was just an amazing experience and madison is such an amazing educator and she taught us you know things about um you know giving giving the performers a bit more autonomy than maybe you know some other um producers, directors, and, and companies, production companies do, mm -hmm. um, or at least have always done. Now, I think things are changing more um, in that direction, actually. So that's really good. But she really, you know, is one of the pioneers of like, let's actually ask the performers, like, you know, what do you want to do today? Like, how's your body feeling today? Like, are you up for this? Are you up for that? What, how do you feel like having sex? And like with this other person involved, like, you know, what do you think uh, like about them? How should, you know, both together, how do you two want to um, play out this scene? Like what would be fun today? And, um, and then thing, you know, everything from that where it's like really 
uh, you have to kind of be flexible and carve your story around that. It's also things like, you know, making sure they um, are feeling comfortable and safe in every moment from like they arrive and you have like water for them and food for them. And um, if they need to take a break at all, you're like, um, yes, duh. you're not kind of, you know, telling them, oh, no, we need like this, mm -hmm. you know, shot better. We need, um, you know, 10 more seconds of anal, like whatever, <laughs> like sure. more classic you know, porn, um, you know, the, the sort of timeline or at least just, it, it's just different. Like, I think they're, um, they're at least from what she kind of was teaching was that's not always how things were done and, and that's yeah. how things should be done. So that was where I, I learned a lot and, um, and applied a lot of what I learned to, you know, put it in the context of this like broader debate about porn and, and where it's been and where it's going. Yeah, I love that. I had a um a, a friend and a, a woman named Inca for she creates um erotic films for foreplay films, and that was a lot yeah. of what she described was like having these scenarios and then letting the performers like what's turning them on, what what are they interested in, what's hot to them, like because then you have something like really electric on the screen as opposed to this manufactured like highly edited you know um thing that 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 isn't as like sexy and tantalizing and i i love her films and i love um that expression and it sounds like this is this is a similar way in to that creative collaborative process which is amazing um yeah, and so that, I I I love all of that, and I I wish that I could take that class. I definitely want to look into it. She sounds like such a a powerful. I love hearing people who um have you know one experience in, within a particular industry, and then just like powerhouse into uh, changing it in a, in ways that are forceful and more inclusive and representative and just like being a, a voice for for change and an advocate that's that's so awesome um yeah and so the I think the last piece I wanted to talk about in terms of the your your opinion in your studies on pornography is this like BDSM aspect. We've we've talked a lot about BDSM on on this podcast, and I'm a big fan of kink. Um, I have dabbled in it. I you know I'm certainly not an expert in any way, but you know. I, I like even watching it, even talking about it, I think is so useful. This conversation of consent and communication and and really outlining boundaries and roles um, so that everybody is like super clear on what's going on. And so when that is communicated in in porn, like what a beautiful gift that you can give in an educational way. And so I'm curious if in your studies, I know you you talked about how it can be really enlightening, especially for, um, you know, more vanilla people who who can expand their sort of uh their framework and their their visual I, ideal of like what what is possible um but yeah I'd love to, to to hear your experience particularly with kink and BDSM within pornography and and what you found yeah oh well I love like what is so cool so there's so much okay uh -huh. <laughs> like coming across sort of you know, the, the origins of queer theory can kind of be um, traced back to some of the like lesbian collectives and um, a lot of them were BDSM collectives. Like there's 
um, and a lot of them are zines actually that and that's like kind of how they these artists were and like you know performers artists kinky people women were coming together was like around a zine which is is why like I love just lip stuff um but yeah they're they're like and can you clarify the, what a zine is yeah like a magazine okay like a great. that's what I thought but <laughs> writers and you know photographers and, and artists come together to like create something and um there's one called on our backs and that is a like lesbian um a lesbian zine that kind of came in response to a lot of those like white feminist zines mm-hmm. um that were sort of bashing porn bashing uh, like hardcore sex bashing um just like free sex expression and just a lot about like I don't know they lesbians are interesting in the 1980s like they're very confused I think there's like you know some that are like you know you can have sex with a man and be a feminist um Mm -hmm. absolutely not there's some that are like um and and therefore like they're like you know forcing basically women to like become lesbian in order to like escape patriarchy which is just like wild yeah but it's real (laughs) um yeah and and there are some that are like you know trying to create a better dialogue and a better um a better theory really and that's kind of where we go into into queer theory is like there were some that were being like okay no it's more complicated than that like you know sex and your sex sexuality and your sexual preferences actually don't matter at all like none is better than the other and we shouldn't like we can't demonize straight mm-hmm. people we can't demonize straight like looking sex because it doesn't have any more value than the sex we have like why are mm-hmm. we you know hierarchizing we yeah. we shouldn't be we, that's the problem basically yeah that's so, like harmful patriarchy almost like capitalistic thinking of you know one has to be better than the other yeah exactly and just because yours wasn't the better one doesn't mean you need to just like fight for your freedom by being like and now I'm gonna make mine the better one no like you know that's why like I hate I mean so many people are like feminism like you know women over men and it's like there's it's just not about hierarchy that's not the answer hierarchy is never the answer like um so that was kind of where that's how the transition came about into queer theory and the root of queer theory um, my favorite essay in the whole entire world is called Thinking Sex by Gail Rubin. Mm-hmm. And it's this argument. It's that like, and and she was one of these like lesbian feminists um, who kind of, well, I actually don't know if she identifies as a feminist, but basically, you know, came out and said, we just can't hierarchize. And that essay is kind of the root of like a lot of this queer theory thinking of like, you know, they're, they're, just stop labeling, stop trying to like, mm-hmm. you know, label and hierarchize. Like it doesn't really matter um you know there's there's so much value in all different types of sex sexual expression um you know gender expression like there's just a lot more here that we don't even know like it's not a game of who's better who's worse so that's kind of how that came to be but um I guess that doesn't really answer your question quite yet about uh porn and and BDSM no that was all interesting though (laughs) yeah I think so too I I love um like I said that's my favorite essay ever but where where my mind went for porn and BDSM is really in a lot of Madison Young's work. And um, she's someone who, like, I know I said, I never identified as a, um, a kind of like girly girl, but I, I think I have for the most part identified as um, more submissive. I haven't full, I just, I haven't really explored more like of my own dominant side, mm-hmm. which I would be happy and excited to, but I've always like, um, I've really liked, you know, my experiences and, um, and 
literature, reading stuff and watching porn and whatever that um, I really identify with like submissive stuff. And I always felt bad about that kind of, I guess, um, just being like such mm-hmm. a feminist that I am. I was like, how do I rectify this? And in Madison's work, she is the queen of this. And she is like the most powerful, like revolutionary, you know, badass in her life as a mother, in her entrepreneurship life, as a filmmaker, as an artist. In every sense of the word, she's the most powerful. And yet, you know, um, like the father of her children, she calls daddy and she's like his submissive. And, but it's a beautiful, beautiful, um, it's a beautiful relationship. It's um, one that, you know, actually grants her so much power. And I, and in her work um, through her porn with him, actually, there's a lot that they've created together through her memoir. Like I, um, have just learned all about the power in that role in the more submissive role and and want to um you know shed light on that for more people because i think there probably is a lot of shame there was shame there for me there probably is a lot of shame there for other people um and so a lot of like you know that she's one person who really captures that in through her art um and yeah i i always like have really that has always really resonated for me um yeah, so. I, I love that. Yeah, we had on, um, I had the fortune of speaking to, this is a pen name, but her name is Lena Dune on social media, and she uh, does the, the social media account Ask a Sub, and that was like a big part of our conversation was like, how do I be a feminist and also be a sub? And she had such wonderful insight into her own uh, experience of it, and then really like the idea that communication, uh, consent, boundaries, like all give such power. And that because they had such delineated, like with her partner, it's 24-7, but because they had such delineated communication and boundaries and expectations and stuff, it was there was such freedom in it because there wasn't all of this questioning of like, who's doing what and, 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 you know, et cetera. There was like so much power there. And, and one thing she said talking about your, your traditional sort of upbringing in Long Island was that like, you know, in the 1950s, like the dumb sub thing was what was happening. We just weren't labeling it like that. And we just weren't talking about male and female hetero relationships in that aspect. And so to enter into something like that, at knowingly wanting to, you know, choosing whether you want to have control over finances or not you know in, in a 24 7 dynamic there's all these things at play uh like how powerful that is and and how how amazing it can be for both parties to be like yeah this is the role that I want to play and I get to choose that now and now I just yep. get to live and play in it like how how um freeing that that can be totally I love that I yeah, yeah and I love lean on and ask a sub account like that's one of my faves so yeah it's so So good (laughs) um awesome well i want to get to this app that you've created lips and i want to hear um as much about it like how it came about how you got involved um and, and and what it looks like in terms of filling this void that is now being created on the social media platforms that have a monopoly such as like instagram and facebook yeah well I actually want to make the link right to what we were just talking about to lips. Cause I think, um, that really is what it's all about for me is, um, giving people a place to explore themselves, their, their truest self, their, um, you know, maybe explore, celebrate parts of themselves that they can't other places. And 
and really I keep saying explore because it's like, you know, you post something one day that might be like totally not you the next day and that's okay. And that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And like, um, I don't really feel like there are many places on the internet that allow me to do that. You know, Instagram privileges consistency and branding and Mm -hmm. you can't be queer on Instagram. Like you literally can't be fluid. There's there, it doesn't help you do that at all. Um, you, you, struggle queer creators struggle because it's just rooted in their identity in our identity to not be consistent and that's what makes us queer and beautiful and like we just need better platforms where we can be ourselves so um you know i think that really is what's been so cool to um apply a lot of the intersectional feminist theory and queer theory to building an app like how do i take these thoughts and and concepts and apply them to buttons on a computer or phone like it's wild and it's so much fun (laughs) yeah and so i guess so in terms of like the consistency and branding that comes with instagram like what what exactly does that look like that feels prohibitive and that feels um like it's it doesn't allow for that expression and then how have you translated it into those buttons and that that um uh yeah the interface so that you can interact with it in a way where you can show up totally different day to day and that gets to be okay yeah well so to start like obviously all of the like banning of anything related to sex sexuality um which it's that, but it's more. There's actually like really complicated algorithms that um, you know manage the priority of all the content on Instagram. Um, and the way it prioritizes it is, is such that a lot of content that queer people post and a lot of content, but beyond that, even, um, you know, just people of color post mm-hmm. that are about, you know, activism and, and things going on in the world and um content that is about periods for example content mm-hmm. that is um not even sexual like there's stuff that is deemed sexual but actually isn't um so when i post a picture of myself in my underwear like i'm just doing that for me i'm not like doing that to be sexual sexual you're actually sexualizing me by deeming that sexual I'm just celebrating myself and I'm looking at my own body and I'm saying like, Hey, I'm proud of myself. Like I don't, I'm not perfect. And, and here's my body. I'm doing, it's like therapy. This is not sexual. Why are you taking away? Like, you know, removing my content and telling me it's sexual when I actually don't mean to seduce anyone at all. So there's a ton of kind of stuff like that, that happens um, on Instagram that, for a long time, we've been studying, studying, and not just us, obviously, so many people have been realizing this, noticing this, um, are victim to this, like, obviously, sex workers being the most um, prominent and, and probably most targeted population on on there. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, especially like, black sex workers, and then black trans sex workers, like, there's, there's layers to it. So, um, but at the end of the day, like, you know, there's, there's, there's a huge community of people going through suffering through something like this. And yeah. um, there needs to be a better place, a place that not only um, allows them to post things like what they want to post um, and, and, but also just like understands who they are as a person. And like, mm-hmm. that's where Instagram, I think 
um, falls short. It just, it can't comprehend queerness, queer sexuality. It can't comprehend, um, you know, like, and, and I would say, I mean, it doesn't want to, it just doesn't have the need to basically, you know, and that's fine. Like that really is, it's like, um, you know, you've, I mean, it's not because they're harming so many people, but I don't expect Instagram to flip a switch and become like, you know, a place that allows for sex workers like tomorrow. Sure. So, um, so that's kind of where we started with lips. We started understanding the problem through research, through talking to people. Um, we brought folks in to help us design the app. And um, we did like what's called co-design sessions. So we had groups of, of artists and, and sex workers and groups of LGBTQ youth in there. We had brands. So we had, you know, the different stakeholders, all people who self suffer through things like this. And um, that's another big thing is like the economic like impacts that Instagram, mm -hmm. like shadow banning and, and just like um, patriarchal kind of algorithms. Like you don't get seen, you're not going to get customers. So right. all of that. Um, right. So yeah, so we, we brought them all over and we were like, okay, you know, let's, let's design this new thing. And, and, you know, what do we need? And it's so, it's really, it's basic right now. Like I can't say, you know, we have solved all the problems, sure, and we, sure. um, but at, at its, at its core, what it's doing is it's giving people a place um, where they're not going their content's not going to be demoted because it, it isn't like, you know, a beautiful white woman with perfect skin and a selfie. Like that's all I see on Instagram these days. Yeah. Um, and I'm, and I mean, it knows that I like don't have perfect skin and want it. So it's like giving me more of that. And that's, it's doing what it's designed to do. Sure. So yeah. lips is not designed for that. Lips is designed for something else. And it, that's for, um, equity. It's for giving everyone an equal platform. Nothing's, you know, being, um, like hierarchies or shoved in your face because they want you to buy it. Um, we're actually trying to, you know, make it a place where we can promote each other and elevate content that um, gets hidden on other places. So actually mm. like doing the opposite of Instagram where we like bring the, you know, have a week where we are highlighting all the creators of color, for example, and, and bringing their content to the forefront of people's feeds and um, you know, for different like mental health awareness weeks or how can we like literally create a platform from scratch that actually serves our needs and allows us to like be who we are, do the work that we do, um, and connect with other, other folks and, and not have to like dig to find people who, who resonate with us. Like, you know, all my favorite people are like sex related influencers and, and yeah. why can't I find them? Why? Like, yeah, I hard. should. Yeah. So yeah, I hope that gives a good overview of, of, kind yeah. of the concept. Yeah, I love it. It sounds so exciting. And so just in terms of, of what, like in the interface, how do you interact? Is it is it a visual medium and an audio medium? You know, Clubhouse just came out, which is only audio and Twitter is only through um, text. And so it, does it incorporate all these different mediums within the app? So it's very simple right now. Um, the first kind of, the big feature is you can post images or text. Okay. posts so um it's it really is it's like i would say mostly visual um because that ends up being a lot of this like that's instagram and that ends up being right. kind of a lot of the stuff that is censored and, and misunderstood um i feel like it's um you know we want to build it out to maybe have um like it doesn't even have dms right now so you can't even like one-on-one -on -one communicate yet but um i think the main the main problem that we were solving was like like the censorship of, of visual content um and and also you know ideas so the text post the the image post 
um, it looks a lot like Instagram, but it feels so different. So yeah. uh, that's the goal. That really was, was like, you know, we need something similar to this. It doesn't have to be like totally changing the game. Um, but every, everything else, the way it runs, like, you know, there's a, a wall, like you have to be vetted in order to post. Right. So there's not just anyone can create an account. Oh. Um, that's a, that's a big thing because, you know, trolls, like trolls target sex workers, trolls target queer people, trans people on the internet. Um, And if anyone can just create an account and start reporting, that's a problem. And that is a problem that is huge on Instagram and persists. And unfortunately, the Instagram people um, don't have the tools to deal with it. They, you know, if, if an account is reported enough times, it gets deleted. But who's doing that reporting? There's no um, thought behind that. Sure. And, and you know, that's not taken into account at all. So we don't even have that problem because we have a community and a community of people who have signed on to our values, who know, who are part of us. They, they are lips. Like they, you know, know that their, look, their goal is to look out for each other. They are predominantly women, non-binary and LGBTQIA plus folks. Um, they have like, you know, gone through similar things. They're on lips for a reason. Like they know that they're looking for a more inclusive community, a safer space to be more vulnerable um, on the internet. And they know that other people are there for that. So they're trying to like look out for each other. Um, And that was a big thing too, was like these community guidelines that we wrote, like Instagrams are like no nudity, no sexual content. Like, you know, that's, that's basically it. And, and, you know, they say no harassment that's a lie. They say no hate speech. That's a lie. They allow white supremacists and, right. you know, all this kind of stuff. So our, our community guidelines are, um, you know, actually written by the community and are going to protect the community. Like that's the first and foremost thing. So um, yeah, those are just kind of some of the, the ways that we've built in, you know, the protection and safety to have a thriving um, community for, for our people. Yeah, I love this. And so, um, gosh, I have so many questions, but um, how many members are currently a part of it right now? Yeah, we have um, 11,000 people. Wow. Okay, that's yeah. pretty big. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm curious about the, you know, I think when new sites are created, there are so many privacy potentials and, 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 and security potential risk, like not only of like being inclusive and, and safe within the space, but then to keep those people out who would be problematic um, from even hacking in and breaking in. And so, yeah, I know you guys are in such a, you folks are in such a early phase of this, but is that already a conversation of like, how do we protect the content that, that folks are posting so that we can be safe in all aspects? Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, I'm not the tech expert, but what I do know is that Lips is a progressive web app, um, which is like fancy and new and <laughs> all my tech language, you know me. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, that I think um, the fact that it is through the internet, through a web browser, not through the app store, um, it. I don't know if that maybe necessarily makes it um, like less hackable necessarily. I, I'm not sure I'm not gonna um, speak on something I don't fully know about, but what I do know is that um, it makes it like you, you 
the app store doesn't have control over you, which is important. Like we would be subject to a lot of app store stuff, regulation, and they could, um, they basically like own you, like they have like rights over you and stuff. So um, mm. not only can they delete you, but they can also like come after you for stuff. So um, we didn't want to build underneath the app store umbrella. So there's that. There's um, the fact that like eventually down the line, lips will be built on the blockchain once we raise some money. Got it. Um, which Very will cool. allow it. Yeah, which is um, really cool for honestly queer people who um, are posting and can post anonymously if they want to, um, mm. or anyone. I mean, but it's a big thing, you know, if you're not out yet, for example, and you don't want to like, you want to create art and share your art and grow an audience, but you don't want to be public because your family doesn't know. Um, so there's like safety in that. And, and that's something that we're really looking forward to down the line. Um, and then, yeah, I, I guess, um, you know, the, the vetting process of like, it, it, we've made enough barriers and this is what like Annie and I always say is like, we've built enough barriers that like, if you're going to try to come onto lips and do harm, you're going to have to like really convince us really that you're work. some like feminist <laughs> artist and it's like things that trolls just don't really do and, and aren't interested in doing and um you know maybe there will be problems i'm sure down the line we'll run into obstacles and people will get on who we don't want but we have enough barriers in place where like we can really keep it um uh, and pretty easily like keep it a, a safe and thriving place for a lot of folks um but that being said, you know, it is the internet still. So there's always like a caveat of like, you do come to lips and you're posting things on the internet. And um, because we have creators who have public um, or who have fans and things like we do, we created levels to like who you can be on lips. So you can be a creator posting once you're approved, you can post, you can, um, you know, repost other people's stuff. Uh, you can make an account but not post so therefore you can follow you can buy things from creators um once we build the marketplace but eventually you know you could you'd be able to like buy things um and and follow things and like things and then you can just browse so you can just like go on lips and anything that's public on there you can just see so yeah these different like levels you know allow for an ecosystem that like we're not trying to exclude you but we're also maybe not trying to center you and like that's okay you know you have to come into lips knowing that like maybe this isn't you know my place to share my ideas and like sorry <laughs> yeah I love that um it sounds so unbelievably exciting how can people uh you know potentially join or or see if it's something that they're interested in if, if that's what they want to do what how can they find it yeah all you do is go to lips.social you can do it on your computer on any web browser you can do it on your phone. If you have an iPhone, do it on Safari so that you can save lips as an app. Like it'll appear on your phone, like a regular app. Oh, um, cool. So do it on Safari. And then if you're a um, Android user, do it on Chrome and just, you, there's like a way it's on our Instagram, the instructions for how to save it as an app, but um, do that so that you can, yeah, use it just like a regular app. Like once you save it, it doesn't have like the browser thing anymore. So it just operates like a regular, regular um, native app. So cool. yeah, just lips.social and, and you'll see and sign up and, um, and then, you know, if you want to post something, you hit a, like request to be approved, you write a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you want to post and why. And then we 
um, our little backlog, but we should get back to you in a few days. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah. This is awesome. I can't wait to hear how Lips has grown and continues to grow and is just thriving because it sounds like an yeah. amazing community that you both are creating. Uh, thank you so much for your time and for coming on and sharing all of your, your expertise and, and uh, yeah, all of the research and, and amazing things that you're creating. This has been an absolute blast. <laughs> Oh, yes. Thank you so much, Jerry. It honestly is so cool. Like, I don't know. I love doing this type of thing. I love um, kind of even in, for myself seeing where how I got from, you know, like Hewlett, New York, Long Island to where <laughs> I'm at. And like, um, I asked just such uh, insightful questions, like really getting out of me kind of the root of it. And it was cool to trace that along the way. So I appreciate um, really good interviewers like props to you and you. just the opportunity to talk about like what I'm up to thank you for this opportunity yeah awesome oh that was so nice of you thank you for saying that yeah this is great um, I can't wait for people to experience lips and to see all of the other amazing things that you're going to create yay <laughs> oh, you. yay oh yay. my god isn't she great she is a delight Thank she you, is so great. Oh, thank you so much, Val, for coming on. Uh, yeah, I just absolutely adore you, and I, I can't wait to be great friends. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, um. Yeah, check out Lips. Um, it's in the show notes like we talked about in the beginning of the episode. And, um, yeah, uh, check out the community. It's it's really exciting what what they are creating. Uh, please follow us on social media at Finding My Yum Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, we love to hear from you. Be a part of our community. We do post behind the scenes clips and such. And so so get on it because it's it's a lot of fun. Um, and like we talked about in the beginning of the episode, we are on YouTube. So Finding My Yum Podcast on YouTube if you'd rather watch each episode. We would love more subscribers. So hit that subscribe button and uh, join our community there as well. Yeah, and, uh, and and definitely like you know, I, I, I'm sure a lot of you guys listen to this from time to time, and um, and and hear those plugs, and maybe don't go to get on and join uh, the social media groups. You should definitely do it. We're ramping up a lot of the activity on that over the next yeah. couple of months. We're gonna be doing a lot of new kind of cool things. So um, get in there, get on that ground floor, so you can tell people yeah. you were there before all that stuff really popped <laughs> off. Um, but as always, you know, we are a podcast, so make sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and share with some friends. Um, I think uh, there's this is a great episode too, especially um, people that you also want to you know get to join lips too. It's a it's a great opportunity to kind of share that with them. Um, so yeah, uh, make sure you're shannon around so we can build this community. Yeah, we are taking off next week just to regroup and have like a mental health week. So um, we're gonna hit you back on April first on my birthday with some fresh new content. So get excited, and we'll see you then. Stay yummy, stay healthy. Woo!